How many of you, going back to school, liked taking tests? Can I just see a show of hands? If you liked taking tests in school, we had one guy in the first service. Did somebody raise their hand up there? That's, that's awesome. If you had the courage to raise your hand, I want you to know we have the courage to offer you the counseling that you need. If you enjoy <laughs> taking tests... You know, last week as a church, we, we launched this series of messages called Cool Story Bro, but actually. And the, the thesis that we're pursuing throughout this series is that every single person, everybody, has a story to tell. And in the hands of a loving, perfect God, in God's economy, every story is sacred. Because it's the story of God's unfolding grace in our lives and through our lives, and as such, it matters. It's a really big deal, but it's not only a big deal in our lives, not only a big deal for you, it's actually a big deal for everybody because as God's grace unfolds, as it plays out in your life and in my life and in everyone's lives, there is the opportunity for all of us to learn from your story, that we can discern certain things about who God is, how he operates, and how he calls us to cooperate in this world. And this week we're continuing this series. Cool story, bro. Stephanie Howard is a vital part of the Lake Hills Church family. She and her family, her husband Christian, their two kids, Stella and Joshua, are critical parts of the LHC family. And as we said last week, their story is their story. It is the story of ordinary people experiencing the extraordinary, amazing grace of God. And so as we continue this series, I'm really excited to share with you Stephanie Howard's story, which is absolutely a cool story, bro. goes like this. We took a family road trip to Illinois and Michigan. During that trip, I started waking up at night with a cough and waking each day with a sore back. When we returned to Austin, I went to see the doctor who prescribed me a Z-Pack and medicine for my cough. A week later, I was coughing harder and completely not sleeping at night. It was the chest x-ray that revealed a mass in my chest. We scheduled a CT scan for the next morning. Within an hour of the scan, the doctor was calling me saying it was lymphoma. We told Stella and Joshua on Tuesday evening. We were very honest and transparent with them. We talked a lot about how things will change, how they can help in the process, and that at the end of the day, the Howard family of four is a strong, strong unit. Cheers, Stephanie. In less than 12 short hours, I will be checking in for my first week of chemo treatment. I received a call this afternoon from Holly at the hospital, confirming my check-in time and also assured me that they are going to take good care of me. God bless them all. They have no idea who is about to embark upon their oncology floor this week. 
Last Sunday after church, we went to the park and took a few family pictures. Thank you all for your prayers, thoughts, kind words, and generosity. Much love to you all. Stephanie. It is official. When the wind blows, my head is cold. The hair is gone. How does it feel? It feels great. Stella and Joshua shaved the sides, and Christian shaved the top and cleaned up the sideburns in the back part. I must brag a little. I have one good-looking head. I may just get used to this and not want to grow my hair back. I will be arriving at Texas Oncology on Monday morning at 8.30 to start round two. Here we go. I'm feeling good. Probably doing too much, so I'm trying to sit and relax for a bit. I know it is going to be fantastic. Shoot. I have the greatest doctor, nurse, scheduler, and entire team. My doctor always wears the coolest socks, and of course, I comment on them. Well, I told Dr. Chata before I left his office yesterday that he's going to have to come into the infusion room on Monday, as my socks are going to give his socks a run for their money. Love, Stephanie. Warriors, we are dedicated to our mission. A successful conclusion of this mission was complete remission of a primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma. On this 22nd day of January 2016, I'm so proud to say that mission complete. Thank you all for celebrating with me on Saturday. My remission party was absolutely amazing because you were able to join. April PET scan came back showing a new nodule growing from the original tissue. The results of the biopsy show the nodule growth to be the same B-cell lymphoma. Anxiety. This little word packs a big, powerful punch and can lead your mind and body into dark corners. Dark corners where, quite frankly, I don't want or need to be, but I find myself there often. As you all know by now, I have a stronger relationship with God today than I did before this all started. So I can say with confidence that I know God has carried me this far and is not about to drop me now which is why I continue to turn over my worries to him. But it is not easy to do. Much love to you all. Stephanie. Four treatments down, 19 to go. So far, I feel good. My radiology team is amazing, and they are working with me on my schedule so I can spend more time with my family on the weekends. Pictured here is probably one of my favorite shirts ever. Thank you, Julie, for sending me a Fearless Mom Care package. Julie Richard is our pastor's wife at Lake Hills Church. But let me tell you, she is so much more than that. She is an amazing spiritual leader, mother, and mentor to so many. Thank you, Julie, for always being there for me and so many others. 
our spirited child conversation from a few years back still keeps me grounded to this day. I had to dig deep just this morning and remind myself that it takes someone strong to make someone strong. This morning, I had a woman say to me, every time I see you, you have a smile on your face and I can feel your energy. What is it that you do to have that energy and positivity? I told her the truth, my trust and faith in Jesus. Her husband's lymphoma is back and they're consulting with doctors to develop a plan of attack. It was in talking with her today that leads me to believe my next career move is supposed to be in working with patients in some way, shape, or form. This might be something I have to develop skills for, but eventually I will work with others to help them in my daily life. Hip hip hooray! I am filled with so many emotions, I don't know where to start. I am grateful for MD Anderson and for every hand that has touched me. Every single person has made an impact on my life and will forever be in my heart. I am joyful. I am alive. I am cancer-free. I have an amazing family that lifts me up every day. I have friends who genuinely care and have gone beyond the extra mile to help us out. I have a church home and family that I never want to live without. I am excited to get on with life beyond treatments, to enjoy every precious moment with my children, even when they make me want to pull my hair out. Oh wait, I have no hair to pull out, so bring it on. I am excited to see how the Lord directs me and my family. Dear Stephanie, your sweet gift brought me a lot of joy. Not only are the socks awesome, but immediately when I saw them, I could picture your beautiful face in my mind. Seriously, you don't even know it. But before Elisa even connected us together, you made a huge impact on me. You see, it was a while ago, last year sometime, and I was feeling a little down. I was at Texas Oncology by myself for my chemo infusion. Sometimes waiting alone in a cancer waiting room can be a little sobering. I've learned over the past two years that there is not a lot of joy in most of the eyes around you as you wait. Well, on this particular day, the energy seemed different, more electric and positive. The nurses, I first noticed, were all wearing Wonder Woman socks. While I was getting hooked up to my chemo, Nurse Kendall told me that a woman who had worn fun socks every day of treatment was getting her last treatment that day. I felt so moved that one woman's strength could inspire so many people. Then I saw your family come in the room and I saw you ring the bell and I felt blessed to have witnessed your strength. I feel even more blessed now to know you and to know that you were, are, the Wonder Woman Cancer Fighter from last year. Amazing how God works. With love, B. Wow. Man. <clears throat> I don't know, unless you've done that in some other setting or in some other way. I'm not, I'm not sure that we can fully 
appreciate or grasp the kind of courage that it takes to, to tell that story, not only for Stephanie, but for her whole family. And so as, as your pastor and just as a church family, would you join me in just saying thank you to Stephanie? She's here on the front row this morning. Stephanie, thank you so much. We appreciate it. I don't know if you could tell when you stood up. You probably, even when you stood up, you couldn't tell. She's wearing her Wonder Woman socks this morning with flip-flops, which is no small task. So anyway, it's awesome to have you here, Stephanie, this morning. Her family was in the first service. Um, But if you'll remember, I asked you before we shared that story, I asked you how many of you enjoyed taking tests. You know, I, I was never... I was a pretty decent student in in high school. College was a little bit different story. I squeezed four years into five. But but I think all of us can remember that feeling of of sitting down to take an exam in school. I think when you hear the word test, that's where most of our minds go. You may have even had the nightmare when you were graduating high school or college that you had a final exam that you hadn't been to the class for the whole semester and you were going to fail and therefore not graduate and your parents would disown you and you'd just fail in life and yada, yada, yada. Well, I failed a test just this week. I haven't been in a classroom in years, but I failed a test just this past week. You see, Julie and I, when we got off of our family vacation, Julie and I made a commitment to each other that we were going to kind of, you know, get our lives back in order, top to bottom. And part of that was going to include eating clean. We, we were going to just, I mean, we weren't going to be psychotic about it, maybe one cheat meal a week. But other than that, we were going to be, you know, pretty disciplined and eat clean on a regular basis. But, everybody say but. but. Don't, don't you know those but moments just happen? This past Friday... We had a group of high school and college kids over at our house, and Julie and I had not really planned our diet and our menu, and as such, we weren't really prepared, and so I just ended up grazing on what the college and high school kids and their metabolisms were eating. And, you know, I, I, had, I had a few pita chips. They were whole wheat, but they were pita chips, and the pizza got there, and I had a piece of pizza. You know, I was drinking water, but I was just kind of just grazing here and there. When all of a sudden, with nobody in the house, were, all the kids were out in the backyard, the doorbell rang. And I, doorbell rings, you go answer the door. I open, I go, yes, can I help you? And there standing in front of me is a messenger from the dark side. He says, hi, you had an order from Tiff's Treats? Now, for those of you who are not from around these parts, Tiff's Treats delivers to your house chocolate chip cookies, but not only chocolate chip cookies, warm chocolate chip cookies. And he places in my hands a box full of chocolate chip cookies and snickerdoodles that nobody else in the house even knows is there yet. This is what we call in theology a moral dilemma. And so I'm carrying the cookies into the kitchen, and, and like the box is warm in my hands. And I set them down. Julie was back in the back. The kids were outside. And, and before I even knew what was happening, I ate five of them. <laughs> five. 
And then later in the evening when the kids had had their fill, I went back for more. I failed the test. You see, it was a test because of the commitment Julie and I had made to each other. We were going to eat clean and have one cheat meal a week. And for the record, our cheat meal had been the night before as we celebrated our anniversary. So I'm set for the next two and a half weeks on cheat meals. But you know, tests come in a lot of different forms. There's a wide, wide variety of tests. As a matter of fact, every single thing that you do, every decision that you make, every word that comes out of my mouth, every conversation that we have, everything in life is ultimately a test. Now, I'm not saying that everything is directly a test from the Lord, although he does test us to be sure. It's not always that kind of a test. What I mean is everything that we do, every decision that we make is a test that reveals what we really believe. It's a test that reveals what do we actually value. In in essence, everything that we do is a test that reveals who we really are. Who am I when nobody else is around? What do I watch on TV? Where do I go on my internet browser? What are the choices I make about how I'm going to spend the money that God has entrusted to me? How do I talk to my kids when nobody's at the ballpark to hear it? All of these things are tests. And this can be a little bit overwhelming if you, if you stop and think about it for just a moment until you realize the fact that Jesus himself is tested Every single day. The gospel of Jesus gets tested in every corner of the world. And by the way, for those of us who go by the name of Christ follower, it gets tested in every single corner of our lives. What I mean by that is the the gospel is tested because in every situation people are asking, is it real? Is this this Jesus thing valid? Are the claims that he made to be both God and man valid? And the the hope of the world and the the source of forgiveness and salvation, is that real? Or is Jesus, this Jesus guy, just some, you know, crackpot? Or or even worse, maybe a con man who who had a, a hidden agenda that nobody really understood. Well, the fact of the matter is, Stephanie Howard's story, like so many others, is a beautiful, beautiful expression of the fact that Jesus passes this test in flying colors. Now, there's a problem because you and I are administering a test when it comes to the subject of suffering, when it comes to the subject of grieving. We administer a test to God that God never agreed to sit for. You see, my emotions tell me, this is what I want to be true. I, I, I want it to be true that if... God is all-powerful, and he is, and God is all-loving, and he is, then surely he would eliminate and eradicate all suffering. How could an all-powerful and an all-loving God allow people, allow his children to suffer? But it's the gospel itself, it's the person of Jesus Christ who resolves this dilemma, who who brings this into focus like no one else can or ever has. 
Jesus offers not a philosophical answer, but a personal solution. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, the Bible goes into some detail about how we manage this this tension of an all-powerful and an all-loving God still allowing suffering and grief and sorrow, not just in the world at large, but in our lives personally. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 starts like a lot of the letters that Paul wrote to other churches in the New Testament, but then it takes an immediate kind of side street that that rarely gets talked about. Verse 3, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He is the source of all comfort. Now this reality, this, this theological fact is actually the story behind the story of Stephanie Howard. You see, Stephanie experienced the comfort of God going through debilitating chemotherapy, radiation, stem cell treatments over and over again. But it was in that suffering and in that struggle that she experienced the depths of God's comfort, the depths of his amazing grace in a way that is absolutely indescribable. It is the fact that God is the source of all comfort. I I love the Wonder Woman socks. The Wonder Woman socks are a deep theological truth. You ready? You see, Stephanie had somebody just give her socks because when you take chemo, your feet get cold, you get cold, and they say, hey, here's some socks. And by the way, they are killer Wonder Woman socks. And just something so simple can be such an expression of God's comfort, of God's grace. You see, when, when you know someone who suffers, when you know somebody who is wrestling with grief and with sorrow or, or some kind of ailment, it's not, it's not the answer that we show up with the right thing to say. It's the answer that we show up. That we, we just show up. They, they don't want our pat answers. This is not the time to walk into the chemo ward and start spouting scripture. Give them some Wonder Woman socks. Now, I'm not saying Scripture doesn't matter. The Bible is God's Word. It matters a lot. But in that moment, give them some socks. In that moment, bring a casserole. What says love more than a casserole to someone who is grieving? Now, I may be revealing and, you know, exposing my Baptist roots here, but I'm just telling you, that's how you love somebody. That's how you comfort someone. Just... Just tell them, I'm not here with answers. I'm not here with pat answers. I just want you to know I'm here. I'm here. You're not crazy and you're not alone. I'm here. You see, yes, God is the source of all comfort, but usually, usually the vehicle that God uses to deliver his comfort is other people, is other followers of Christ coming alongside. Check this out. Look at at verse 4 in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul goes on, he says, God, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You see, our suffering is never, in God's economy, just about us. 
as a follower of Jesus, as a part of the family of faith, we are never expected to suffer alone. If anything else, we're expected to suffer with each other. Remember, we, we grieve with those who grieve. We mourn with those who mourn. We celebrate with those who celebrate. That's part of the miracle and the mystery of the family of faith that is the church. You know, Stephanie Howard and her family, they had a support system because, because they had dug in. They had said, we will be a part of the body of Christ. We will connect with other people. We're not going to just show up on Sunday mornings unless we have a better offer, unless brunch looks really good. We're going to dig in. We're going we're to be a part. And it was when they got to this point of suffering that they discovered the miracle and the mystery and the awesome blessing that God intends the church to be in all of our lives. And so, yes, I'm the pastor of the church. I'm biased. I freely admit it. But here's the deal. Just because I'm biased doesn't mean I'm wrong. We need the church. We need each other. We need that connectivity. That's part of the, the beauty of what we get to be a part of. Man, look around the room right now. Just, just take a look. If you're sitting downstairs, look upstairs. Upstairs, look over to the other side of the room. First of all, don't ever doubt God's sense of humor. I mean, look at us. Are you kidding me? Skinny little boy from Houston, Texas, slow, can't jump, only left hand when he dribbles. And yet, God can still use every single one of us. Every one of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done, he uses us particularly when we suffer, particularly when we struggle. When everything's cool, and I got it, going to church, hey. But it's when we struggle, it's when we suffer that we're reminded of the fact that we need each other. Look how Paul continues. Verses 5 and 6, he says this, Now, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. You see, it's impossible to separate suffering from the love of God. You can't do it. We think that love means the elimination of all suffering. Just rainbows and unicorns and strawberry fields forever. I'm in love. No, you're deluded. Real love, real love requires suffering. How many of you, let me, let me see a show of hands from the moms in the house. If you're a mom, raise your hand, just if you don't mind, please, just raise your hand. Moms, tell me if being a mom doesn't involve suffering. <laughs> the laugh of recognition right there. It just does. I mean, just just if you, you know, just to bring a kid into the world. Suffering. I remember when, when Emily was born and two years later Joseph was born. I've never been more excited to be a guy than I was in that moment. I was happy to be the one standing there going, you go get them, Jules. You got this, babe. 
You know, I remember, I remember we went to those, those childbirthing classes that last like eight years, you know. I remember the, the, the instructor or whatever, she goes, now men, I don't know where they find these people. They go, men, at this point, you'll want to begin massaging your wife's shoulders. At which point, Julie looked at me and she goes, if you touch me, you die. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And then, then she, the, the, the instructor keeps going on. You may want to move down to her feet and massage her feet. I was like, I'm pretty sure I don't. <laughs> you see, Jesus engages in our suffering. There is no other prophet, teacher, guru, spiritual advisor, no one engages and participates in our suffering like Jesus. You see, we we need to understand that there are three things that we need to hang on to because as I said, my problem is my emotions. My emotions want to believe that surely God would eliminate all suffering. But the facts, the facts are different than the feelings. The facts are different than the feelings. And, and it's imperative that we, kind of like we did last week, we need, to, we need to submerge beneath our superficial sentiment and, and get down into the real and the raw. What, what is actual? Here, here are three things you need to remember about suffering. And I, I would encourage you to write these down. Number one. God allows suffering. He does not cause it. God does allow suffering. And I will just tell you before you ask the question, most of the time we don't know why. Now, a lot of times in retrospect, we can see what he built into us. We can see what we learned, what we experienced of him. But most of the time in the moment, why is going to be a long time coming. So God allows suffering, but he does not cause it. Now, the Bible's clear that God does discipline his children. He disciplines us because he loves us. A loving father disciplines. Only only a father who hates his children never disciplines them. So he will discipline us, but when we're talking about real suffering, he will allow it many times. And in his supernatural, all-powerfulness, omnipotence. He will use our suffering and turn it for his purposes and our good. I don't understand how that happens. It's a, it's a, it's a supernatural divine piece of spiritual jujitsu, but it's real. And this is the promise of God. He allows it, but he does not cause it. Number two, God himself suffers. God suffers. The Bible tells us when we sin, it grieves the Spirit of God. God grieves. He is is driven to sorrow by our sin. Not because, oh man, they missed one of the Ten Commandments. They're going to make a 90. No. Because God understands that our sin is our brokenness. And when we sin, when when we walk away from the life He created us to live, then then we're walking away from him. We're walking away from the purpose, the peace, and the joy that he's created us for. 
And because of his love, he grieves that for us. Those of us who are parents, you know what that's like. You, you watch your kids maybe in middle school, high school, as you kind of start to give them more, more room to breathe and more, more freedom, and you watch them make decisions, and you're kind of like, oh, man, that's, this is going to be critical. This is going to be key. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens here. And then, you know, they make a good one, and, and from the sideline, you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Way to go. But then sometimes you're like, ooh, that's going to leave a mark. I think that's what God, I think that's how God looks at us when, when we walk away from him. God suffers. And, and while we're at it, let's not forget that Jesus, who, who is God, Jesus suffered on the cross. He suffered not only the physical pain of a Roman crucifixion, but he suffered the alienation, the separation from God the Father that was brought on by the fact that he took on my sin and your sin. When, when he took on all of the shame and the sin of the world, he was completely alienated from God the Father. And there, there's no greater pain than aloneness, loneliness. He was alone. The third fact to remember about suffering is that God's grace... God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he, he talks about the thorn in the side that he was given. We don't know exactly what that was, which I don't think is an oversight. I think the Bible remains deliberately vague so that we can apply the principle to our situation. And, and three different times Paul said, man, Lord, please remove this from me. Please remove this trial, this, this thorn. And three different times God says, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. I, I'm going to do something in you bigger than that thorn. And, and I'm going to use that thorn for my purposes and your good, Paul. But remember, nobody, nobody engages our suffering like Jesus Jesus participates with us. That's why the Christian faith is not a religion, folks. It's, it's a relationship. Now, we, we can turn it into a mere religion and, and just a kind of list of do's and don'ts and rituals. But it's so much more. It's, it's, this, it's this relationship. And to get at this, uh, we need to go to Hebrews in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible in Hebrews talks about Jesus as our great high priest. And this is what it says in Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, this high priest of ours, this, this mediator, our, our representative, the representative of the people to God, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. When we need it most. Now, I don't know where you are today. Hopefully and prayerfully, you've never had to sit through 
chemotherapy treatments. But if you hang around long enough, you'll suffer. You, you will grieve. You will experience heartache. And his grace is sufficient. You see, this great high priest, this Jesus, comes into our lives and engages with us in a relationship. And so when you hurt, he hurts. When you celebrate, he celebrates. When you win, he wins. You lose, he loses. It's all together, all for one and one for all. And it's in this relationship that the amazing grace of God becomes so much more than a great song. It's in this relationship that the amazing grace of God infiltrates and plays out in and through our lives. I want to ask you, if you will, just for a moment, bow your heads. I want to invite you into a time of prayer. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship with God, personally, definitively, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that right now. Just, just to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. Just silently talk to God in your own words. Say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your comfort. I need your grace. I need your life. I need your love. And Lord, in return, I give you my life. I will follow you from this moment forward. I confess my sin to you, and I will claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. We, we, we bow our heads just in reverence for God, for who he is and what he does. And if you just prayed to step into that relationship with Jesus, I want you to know this is the greatest moment of your life. It's a pivotal moment. And it's one that, as a church, we get to help in whatever way we can. And so before you leave today, I want to ask you just to do a couple of things. If that was your prayer and you stepped into that relationship, will you just let us know that on the connect card that's in your program? Before we end the service here in just a minute or two, just fill that card out. It'll take you about 20 seconds. There's a place to indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you fill that out, tear it off at the perforation there on the fold and just hand it to an usher on your way out, one of our hosts. And that will allow us 
number one, to, to celebrate that with you, but also just to help in any way that we can at whatever pace works for you. But then second of all, if that was your prayer, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a couple of reasons. Number one, to mark this moment in your life. To, to stamp it and to say, that was real, that happened. And as you hold your hand up, I want you to know, this is a, this is a once and for all kind of prayer that you prayed. You don't have to do it again next week or you know, re-up every year. You prayed that prayer, God heard it, and now it's time to begin living in a relationship with him. The second thing that your hand in the air does is it stamps this moment in the life of this church because there's nothing more important to us than that in your life and others like it. And so as a, as a family of faith with you and around you, we honor that and we celebrate it And our family tradition is that as you put your hands down, we like to just put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.